This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff from Golf Rugby Report, joined by Bruce McLean, the head coach at Iona College. See, I can keep saying that now. And Pat Clifton, the head coach at Lindenwood Belleville and writing for Rugby Today. And guys, first of all... Hey, can I say something before you get started? Yeah, yeah. You must have been announcing games over the past couple of weeks because that was maybe the best intro you've done in, what, 250 shows? For crying out loud, you finally got it right. I was uh, you, without that was amazing. Or hesitating. Thank you. That was much. amazing. Yes. I've been doing keep a lot of announcing. You know, keep did, it up. Did you did you listen? Did you hear the uh, the play by play on the uh, USA Canada game? Yes. At the Knocker Sevens, and okay, so this whole thing going through those games, you know, you get little little thoughts come through your mind, and I had had mentioned earlier that. Danny Barrett was like a locomotive, right? And 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 the idea of like a, a chugging locomotive comes through, and then he's on a run in the second half, and just as he's running, <laughs> out of my mouth comes, Danny Barrett, chug a lug. <laughs> I don't know what that yeah. means. It's like I mean I know what chug a lug means, but it doesn't mean you're a choo choo train, right? <laughs> but that's what it is. Like chug a lug. So I mean I don't mean to imply that Danny Barrett is a heavy drinker one way or the other. It's just it was just something that just sort of came out as like a uh, like an emotional thing. But um, I'd be willing to bet Danny could put him back. Well, if he wants to, I'm I'm sure that's that's you know he he wouldn't be a stranger to a beer or two. But the 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 idea. I just, it was, I just laugh every because I listened to it again. It's like, what was I? I know what I wasn't thinking anything. I was just sort of like throwing something out there. You were um, very excited. It was good. It was good. And I was and and the, and the other thing, one thing you may want to start doing is maybe try to do a show with a fit guy. It's like me, Pat, you, Doug Cross. <laughs> I mean, you got to be kidding. <laughs> you want to talk about like, uh, you know, we could we could take the Golden Corral and maybe uh, oh, we could my. we could bankrupt that joint. Two things about Doug Cross. Number one, on the last day, we had a big break. We had a break of about uh, four hours. And I, I went into the referee's judicial room because it had uh, Wi-Fi and air conditioning. And Patty O'Brien just sort of looks at me and goes back to work. But there were no, there were no hearings or anything, so I could just use that place. Did some work. Doug went back to his hotel room, took a nap. So that's, that's Doug's approach, which was good. The other thing is – Well, the old Buzz McLean did he? Yeah. Can you can you imagine if the NACRA Sevens was held in any other country in NACRA, would they bother to get a, an announcer from the United States to come in and help out? Because they wouldn't. I mean, there's, no. there's no doubt that they would not. And Canada wouldn't call up in USA Rugby and say, hey, do you have an American to help us out with some of these games and maybe do the U.S. games? But Doug Cross is brought in to do the the Canada games on on the USA Rugby TV feed. You know what? Doug Cross is a good guy, though. Oh, he's, very, he's a very good guy, and I think it was a good move. I just think it's very interesting that USA Rugby would be willing to do that, and nobody else is, and I think well, they love, should. Well, they love their foreigners on USA Rugby TV broadcast, from what I can tell. Mm. But he, he's uh, Usually they come from the Southern Hemisphere, but this time they came from north of the border. He, he's been a... Uh, Doug has been... Uh, an integral part of Canadian media for well over a decade. So okay. I, he, he at least has 
his bona fides. That's a I hate using that word. But no, anyway. he 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 definitely does. I mean, I I he was my editor when I was writing for RugbyRugby.com. That's a long time ago. Uh, but they, you know, you know who I really liked uh, doing some of the webcasts was uh, my, uh, not Mike, of course. That's hockey. Paul Emmerich was. Uh, I thought he did a great job, and he started talking about um, pigs and how in Iowa you love to just chase them and catch them and eat them. <laughs> uh, that was that was awesome. the uh, The other thing, big news, and and I don't know how we spin it other than it's obviously politics, right? But I was passed over uh, by uh, ESPN, The Body Magazine. Um, instead, they chose Todd Clever. I thought and for I sure just, they were going Monte Mokiola. <laughs> I just I, – I, I can't believe, again, they passed me over. Um, so we've got uh, – I, I also know saw on social media Todd Clever and Scott Lavalla were – we're uh, doing training in New York together. I guess it's kind of like the special fraternity of nude models. <laughs> did you see that? Did you see his uh, photo shoot? I, I did. I saw Todd's. I've obviously seen Scott naked in his little uh, <laughs> Scott de France deals. So, uh, hey, man, two peas in a pod, those two, and uh, to each their own. I guess if I was... Looked like half of, you know, either one of them. I probably wouldn't wear a whole lot of clothes all the time either. If they call I do like the dichotomy of hair, though. <laughs> that's true. It's all, it's all, yeah, that's true. It's it's all on Todd's head, and that's pretty much it. Um, maybe that, that, is that too much information right there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's too much information. Um, the, those kinds of things are good for the sport, though, I guess. I guess. If any, if anyone's still listening, if anyone's still listening, <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, no, I, I actually, you know, I'm really interested. If you want to email me, agoff at GoffRugbyReport.com, tell me if you think it's a good idea or a bad idea that Todd Clever poses nude for, uh, for ESPN, the Body Magazine. Um, if you think it's good for the sport, or if you think it's it's bad for the sport, um, it's a it's a good idea. I mean, I think he's an ESPN. It's fine. It, it's right, ridiculous. Right. No, what, I just what, think it's what, good. What, but, it, but if somebody's got a problem, but but yeah, I'm just glad it was. Who the hell is, is going to have a problem? Oh, you're on ESPN. Sorry. Well, like I tell you, they passed me over, so obviously I have a problem for it. Well, I uh, just thought it was Todd Clever, not Lauren Doyle, or he'd have a whole well, host of. Bloggers on the on well. Their ass. Well, here's that's the other thing, right? Okay, so there are there are women athletes in. I would hope that that would happen. Oh yeah. Well, since since we talked about NACRA, uh, congratulations to the United States national teams, both the men and the women, for winning the NACRA sevens and qualifying for uh, the Olympic Games, and and really really a big deal. Uh, you know, the USA women. They had missed out on automatic qualification when they lost a game 15-14 to England at the end of the season. Uh, it was pretty much a done deal that they were going to win the tournament because Canada wasn't there because Canada had already, already qualified. But they did it in pretty emphatic fashion, and the final score in the championship game against Mexico was 88 to nothing. So, you know, that's pretty clear as to who is the best team there. And on the men's side... We talked about this. We talked about this all the way through the season because I remember mentioning right at the beginning of the season that I didn't think they were good enough at the time to qualify, to beat Canada. And there they did beat Canada 21-5. So 
Um, I I guess, guys, uh, you know, sort of a big round of applause for that. Yeah, I feel like we've been talking about that Canada game for more than a season. I mean, but uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. We really weren't haven't been better than Canada since the Olympic announcement until the last handful of months. So uh, good timing there. Oh, they were and, fantastic. And and Pat, would you have rather have seen Todd Clever in ESPN or Maka Anufe? I, that's all I have to say. My love for Maka Anufe is wholesome in every way. I'll tell you something, Maka. So Maka, 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 Maka should have been in the uh, Maka should have been in the ESPN because it's kind of an Olympic thing. And he's more Olympic than Todd at this point. So I think that you really wanted Maka. I'll start singing the song if you want. No, thank you. Really, really, Mike. Maka played great. Danny Barrett played really great. I think um, uh, he's really emerged. Uh, great to see Garrett Bender do some stuff there, too. It was um, uh, really, really fun, actually, to watch that game. And really, they should have won that game about 42-5, to five, but they... Um, some, they were a little unlucky in some interpretations, stuff like that. Anyway, huge congratulations for uh, uh, for USA Rugby, for the United States national team. USA Rugby, for them more, it's like a massive sigh of relief. They didn't, they had to wait for those uh, those championships to happen for them to be able to plan for the next couple of years. So it it if if. The men's team had lost to Canada. That would have been a massive blow to their funding, massive blow to what they could do the next year. So um, uh, I think they probably knew what was at stake, but there was a lot at stake. Um, all right, but looking ahead, we're looking ahead at the Pacific Nations Cup and the 15s uh, season leading into the World Cup. Checked in with Mike Petrie, who played, of course, for Bruce back in high school. Funny. Mike Petrie, who's a world-renowned author, uh, uh, author of Orange uh, for Rugby and also a scrum half of the national team. And uh, this is what Mike had to say. We're here with Mike Petrie, uh, USA scrum half, and, and we've got uh, the Pacific Nations Cup coming up. It's, it's the beginning of the big build-up to the 2015 Rugby World Cup. And Mike... Um, for you, you you've been involved in the build-up before for the World Cup. How does I mean? Th- this seems like a really nice, um, organized set of games, tough games to get you ready for the World Cup. Oh, without question. I mean, in terms of preparedness going into this tournament, I mean, I think all the guys are really excited for the fact that we have a, a great build-up to the tournament. You know, we've got a lot of time that we can spend together. One of the things that as a squad we're talking that we need more of is time together, and I think that you'll find leading up to the World Cup, we've got plenty of time together. We've got a lot of games together to get things right. You know, and one thing that we need to realize and understand is that we need to be patient. You know, we haven't seen each other since November. We'll be coming in on a couple of days' practice, taking on Samoa. Certainly that'll be a big task for us. But, um, you know, the idea and the goal is to build progressively every game throughout the Pacific Nations Cup. Um, with all eyes, obviously, towards the World Cup. Um, but obviously, if we can get away with, uh, you know, with the Pacific Nations Cup victory and walk away with winning that tournament, it'll put us in a great position to certainly be successful uh, in a couple of weeks' time when we touch down in England. Great. So short-term goals, long-term goals as well. So the Pacific Nations Cup, and you mentioned about getting together and working together. Uh, as a couple of players have pointed out, as Mike Tolkien has pointed out, 
your the the team as we've envisioned it the the I, I guess the first team hasn't really been together for the last year except once in November in Chicago and is that a is that a difficulty for you I mean it's certainly not um, not a luxury for us uh, it, it makes things challenging but you know we're fortunate to have a good core group of players that have been around for quite some time and certainly guys that are of the utmost professional attitude that you know everyone's doing their homework going into camp so even now we're doing stuff behind the scenes to get everybody on the same page so that when we touch the ground in California next week we could just literally start from start and go and everyone kind of has an idea and understanding of what our objectives are certainly tactically um, and I think that's going to be a huge help for us for the tournament and uh, I think it's you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's definitely not a luxury, but um, it's something that, you know, it's just we need to manage that and deal with it. And I think that Coach Tolkien and the rest of the staff are doing a great job to make sure that we're ready. So you're not really installing much that's new? No, there, there won't be probably a lot that reinvents the wheel at this point. I think, um, you know, with, with, like we said, about four or five days ahead of the Samoa game, the goal is to just get everyone on the same page and start building momentum throughout the tournament. Obviously, the goal is to go on and win against Samoa. Um, that's always number one priority for the, for the U.S. squad when we take the field. But um, we're doing everything we can behind the scenes before we get to camp to make sure that we put ourselves in a position to do that. All right. Now, I, it seems like I ask this question every time we talk um, or, or broach this subject every time we talk. You're, you may be dealing with a new number 10. I don't know how many how many fly halves that's been. I mean, you, you're working with Toby Lestrange, who who it seems to me is um, is one of the people who can play ten. But then also Ash McGinty would be another. So um, is that is it just sort of another thing? Oh, here we go, um, some more new stuff no, to I deal think, with. No, I think at this point it's it's kind of exciting as a nine. I think you know myself, the guys that are involved, myself, Robbie, Niku, Shalom. I mean. You know, Shalom bouncing back and forth between 9 and 10. When you look at guys like Toby and Aj and Shalom that can all step in and play 10, I mean, that's an exciting group of athletes that can really do really well to lead what is, I mean, when you look outside of the 10 on our back line, I mean, an outstanding back line with an awful lot of talent. Um, so from my perspective, I'm really excited. I've been doing a lot of training here in New York with Toby. I know that his, he's got a great attitude. He's really switched on and ready to go. I've played with Aj in the past when Aj was here at Nyack. I've played against Aj quite a bit. Uh, and certainly I've played with Shalom in the past couple of test series to the U.S. So each of them brings something very different. They bring their own style and their own flavor, but nonetheless, no matter who's out there on the field, uh, I'm really looking forward to playing alongside of them, and I think it's, they're going to do a really great job for us this summer and throughout the fall. All right, good. It's, it's, it, do we make too much of that kind of thing? Like, do, you know, uh, at... As as a rugby journalist, it's it's I guess it's easy to fall into the trap of treating your your nine and ten combo as kind of like the quarterback, and we all know how how you know in covering American football, uh, everybody talks about the quarterback, and you live and die by your quarterback. Is it, do we make too much of that? Well, not necessarily. I mean, you know, you're right in, in saying that the nines and the tens are certainly the, you know your key cogs in your team. You know, they're the guys that that make it all work and make everything click. So, you know, in an effort to get as much consistency as possible, I think that that's important. I mean, when you look at um, commentary for some of the top test matches in the world, one of the things that's always commented on is how often the nines and tens have played together. Uh, and I think that that becomes a pretty good element. But like I said, 
um, you know, with about eight games or so leading up to this particular World Cup, I think that you'll find that, you know, no matter who's playing nine and no matter who's playing ten this tournament, we're all going to be on the same page because we've had so much time to be able to work out the kinks and sit down and watch film together, and that kind of stuff for us is going to be invaluable. All right. Excellent. Uh, you look ahead to your, your lineup of games uh, where you play uh, uh, Japan and uh, Samoa, then Japan, and then Tonga in, in Canada, uh, and then look for uh, – then you move on to a championship game. Uh, and then after that, you've got Canada as a, a, a non-PNC game, uh, Harlequins, Australia. Um, first of all, on the PNC, I mean, do, is that a winnable tournament? Is that a tournament you can you could sweep? Without question. I mean, if if we don't believe that we can win, we probably shouldn't show up. You know what I mean? I think that any team that goes into a tournament has the mindset that they want to win. Uh, and I think that that's certainly going to be our mentality going in is that we can, we should. Um, and certainly uh, that's going to be our focus and our goal before uh, we think of anything else. Good. Uh, do you Do you look ahead to what's on after that? I think in the back of everybody's mind, there's always that, you know, that piece of the puzzle that you know in the long term that the World Cup is on the horizon. But we certainly we need to take it one game at a time. You know, we need to take it one minute at a time. I mean, like you said, it's a very difficult calendar leading up to the World Cup. We, but that's what we've been asking for as a team. This is exactly what we want. We want difficult games. We want those games that test us and challenge us to improve as players and to improve as a squad. And that's exactly what we're going to get. You know, there's going to be no easy wins from here until, you know, October, whenever the tournament ends. And, um, you know, that's as an athlete, you want to play against the best. And I think that over the past, you know, within the past year, even we've played some of the best teams in the world. And certainly we need to enter every game with the mindset that we're going to win and continue to improve each time. All right. Good. Do you, uh, you, you also, you have a new captain, uh, not a new player, but a new captain of the team. Um, and you being, uh, having captained the, the USA on occasion, um, what do you think about the change? Do you, do you, does that really change anything? Um, and, uh, you know, what do you personally look for in a, in a team captain? No, I think, you know, I don't think it changes much in terms of, you know, that, that, uh, it's going to be a, you know, a groundbreaking thing negatively for the squad. You know, I think that both Chris and Todd are mature guys. Both are very accomplished professionals. Both understand what it means to be a leader. And I think that Todd's done an outstanding job for the past couple of years filling that role. Uh, and certainly as someone that's been his friend for a long time since we played together as teenagers, you know, um, I'm, uh, I have a lot of respect for him and everything he's done for the U.S. program and for rugby in the United States in general around the world. And so with that being said, though, I'm equally excited for Chris because Chris definitely exemplifies everything of what it means to be the utmost professional. And, you know, it's obvious that the guys in the squad hold him in the highest highest regard and highest respect, and he's certainly earned the right to captain the squad. Um, and I think that he's definitely going to bring a new level of, of excitement and a new level of intensity and a totally different vibe um, than what we've experienced before. And I think it's going to have a really positive, profound impact on the squad. And certainly, with that being said, with Blaine being now the vice captain, I mean, you don't get much more professional than Blaine Scully is. There's very few guys out there that I've ever come across in my entire life that take things as seriously as he does. And with uh, with that in mind, he's going to be a fantastic leader both on and off the field. Good leader by example and also smart, articulate players and without question those yeah. two guys are guys that you want in the media room <laughs> speaking because <laughs> they are yeah. they are just great guys and certainly uh 
you know, they're very well-educated young men, so they're good dudes. So my, uh, um, still my, one of my favorite moments, um, in a, talking about the media room was, uh, talking after the, uh, World Cup qualifier and the, the game against Uruguay and you started talking about the, uh, the try you scored to pretty much get the USA going finally and, um, and you're talking about the players behind you and all the players, and that's when Todd Clever interrupted you and said, no, no, that was all you. And I, and I loved that moment because you're not going to say anything about it and say, yeah, yeah, I just, you know, I, I picked a shot and I, I did it and I, it's my good play. But uh, what a great move by a captain to just sort of stop it and say, no, no, enough of the BS, that was all you. Oh, without question, Todd's the guy to give credit where credit is due. I mean, you know, it's really kind of them to have said that. I mean, I'm still always of the mentality that it, it's one play that doesn't make or break a game. It's, you know, all the moments throughout the game that, that kind of lead to ultimately the team's success. So, um, you know, that was definitely a great a great moment for us. But uh, like I said then, it still holds true now. It was, it was set up by so many different factors. And, you know, it was a definitely kind of thought to uh, – and that's the kind of guy he is. He'll be right there behind you on the field. Get, he's got your back. I should say alongside you on the field, he's got your back. You always know that he does on and off the field. Um, and certainly from that regard, I, it's been great playing alongside him for so many years. Well, you just you – know, you mentioned that, you know, his – is he the player you've played with the most in a USA jersey, if you count, like, U19s and All-Americans and stuff like that? Oh, uh, yeah, without, without question. I mean, Todd and I have pretty much been consistent teammates since uh, 2001 when I first met him in uh, Leadville, Colorado, and then he was my roommate at the Junior Worlds in Italy. So uh, yeah. quite a good time. But, um, yeah. you know, I mean, ever since then, it's been it's been great playing with him, and most importantly, it's been amazing to see all the success that he's had and all of it, every bit of it well-deserved. And certainly he's been just like such a great beacon for rugby in the United States, everywhere in the world. He's, he's, you know, he's the figurehead and the, and the, the poster boy for American rugby. And he's earned that. He deserves that, deserves that. And he plays his heart out every single time he takes the field. And, you know, as a friend, that's just an incredible thing to see. Well, uh, Mike Petrie would be a pretty good poster boy for American rugby as well. He's been around for a long time. Um, as we were, we were talking before, just briefly before this interview, uh, about how you're an old man now. Um, and, and I was old when I started covering you, so I don't know what that makes me. But, uh, um, Mike, uh, best of luck in the Pacific Nations Cup and obviously uh, moving ahead to the World Cup. Um, and thanks for the time. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate it. All right. All right, well, that, that was Mike Petrie. And, guys, first of all, he says that uh, the preparation is, is, you know, he's pretty excited about the preparation, at least the list of games to play, stuff like that. Um, what, do, what do you think? Is, is this the best buildup? I, I, I mean, look, you guys have been paying attention for more World Cups than I have, but uh, it's certainly the best that I've seen. Um, you know, we, we've always talked about assembly time and, there's really no difference when you talk about this year. Yeah, we didn't have Six Nations, but um, a lot of our domestic guys went, went down south for a while in the spring, and then over the course of the summer, uh, our assembly is actually better than some Tier 1 nations. So I, uh, there's, there's really no excuses as far as assembly this time around. The only thing where it could really be a negative would be if you pick up a bunch of injuries, but even then, we're deeper than we've ever been. So I think it's fantastic for this summer. I'm really excited uh, from a just to see how many butts we can put in seats perspective. 
but also to see them, you know, if the more time together um, and, and the better competition when we're when they're actually playing on the field is is going to equate to a better showing at the World Cup. Yeah, I think that this is a. Uh, I actually think there's too many games. I, I do. I I I like the assembly time, but it's really difficult to get a whole lot of stuff done in between games. And I don't know that they had the time to settle things down. I do think they need to play, but there's there's a lot of games. And there's a lot of tough games. And, and definitely after watching the uh, New Zealand game against, against uh, Samoa, it was a uh, – I, I would – this is going to be a very challenging tournament. Then there's going to be a few other challenging games. And then we're looking at, uh, this is, this is going to be a, it's going to be a rough stretch of time. And is that 50 man squad really a 50 man squad? Is it a 30 man squad? What is it? Who are they looking at? They're not settled on a lot of things. I know that, it seems like they are, but I don't think they are, and 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 it's it's going to be really really weird to see. All right, you got Wiles at fullback. You got Wiles on the team. Is he your fullback? Who's your fly half? Who's your scrum half? Backup scrum half. Mike's your scrum half. Who's your backup scrum half? Who are your centers? You know what? What are you going to do with Samuel Manoa? Is he playing eight or is he playing lock? Then how does that? Mix up the team. Well, it's a good thing we got seven games to figure it out. Well, yeah, but you don't well, have a lot of time. there's not a lot of time in between those games to do a lot to chop and change. That's that's the well the the Pacific Nations Cup. We've got we've got a Saturday followed by a Friday, and then it's a quick turnaround for two more games. So yeah, the Pacific Nations Cup. Um, it, it, the approach for Mike Tolkien kind of probably has to be he's going to change a, the teams early on to fiddle around with it. Essentially, he's got to he's got to come to settled uh, at some point. Um, the Harlequins game, you know, that's nice to have, but I mean that's going to be like I I think that may be open subs for that one. For, for you know, we might see a lot of people in that in that game. Um, and I think that's yeah, fine. Which is fine. You know, that's that, that would be, I mean, it would be fun if people come and see. You'll probably see 30 people play on each side. Uh, the, I'm, I'm trying to compare it. You know, um, Pat, you asked, you know, the World Cups we've been following. 1999 was, while it was officially the professional era, the U.S. team was essentially an amateur team. That, that year, they had a lot of buildup. They played like a Wales 15. They played England in Twickenham and lost by 98 points. Um, they, they had a really busy year, and there were players who, there were a couple of players who burned out before he even got to the World Cup. Um, but that was also a situation where money was a major issue there. In 2003, they also had a massive buildup. The, the, the USA national team played 13 games in 2003, plus another game that could have been a test match. They chose not to send a full test team to Russia. Um, and that one, the problem was that I don't think there was enough depth. And by the end of the World Cup, you saw players break down. Uh, Dan Lyles was pretty much, 
he couldn't go anymore and they had to take him off. Um, and, and a couple of other players were just run into the ground, not, not maliciously, it's just because that's who they had to play. So if you're going to do it, I think you need, you need to rest people and you need to have enough depth that when you get to the World Cup, if, if you're working all this stuff right, when you get to the World Cup, you have to have like certain units that you can just slot in. You you asked who, who Bruce you asked who's at center right so they got four centers I mean I don't know do you do you you have a unit of two and they're going to play two games you have a unit of two and they're going to play the other two games in the World Cup and then you've got it and you don't worry about it I don't know but maybe that's what you have to do that doesn't build any cohesion mm. they need to settle on a team the problem is they haven't been able to settle on a team who's the front row who's the second row who's the back row who are your halfbacks. Who are your centers? Who's your back three? And until you know that, then you set on a team. You can make a plan around that team. Set on your bench. Make a plan around that bench. Then you have your squad. Those guys aren't going to play much, and that's the way it goes. That's the way I see it. And cohesion is a huge part of winning rugby games. They're going to have to build cohesion. They're going to have to build it without getting injuries. And they're playing physical teams in Samoa and Tonga. And they're going to play a physical game against Harlequins. I do, I do agree with you. It'll probably be open subs like they did against Munster that year. And then... Australia, the, two weeks before the well, World Cup. They're, and they're paying Australia. <laughs> and Australia is going to be, you know, they're just going to come and, you know, try to open it up and tune them up. And hopefully the U.S. plays similar to when, when Samoa beat Australia... They beat the hell out of them physically, which is exactly what Samoa did to the All Blacks. And while they didn't almost, they beat them. They didn't. They didn't lose. They lost, but they played really well and were in a position to possibly win. Although they made a ton of mistakes, had a few injuries themselves. But it was. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw that game. It was amazing. It's just, uh, it's just a, a slugfest. I mean, it's just. It was a straight-on street fight. Yeah. But it showed that if you play street fight rugby, and Samoa made a ton of mistakes. The All Blacks yeah, but... capitalized. That's what the All Blacks are great at. They couldn't capitalize on. Them. I mean, look, and sevens. Um, you know, it's not every year that the All Blacks go play in Apia. Obviously, it's the first time ever. You know, but that's that's a different performance. It's just like it's not every year that the USA plays in the World Cup against Ireland on September 11th. They played out of their bodies that game. So I'm not saying that you can't say, yeah, Samoa, they maybe had a model for how to be more competitive against those top echelon teams, but that's not an easy, you know, replicable thing that they did there. We don't have to play the PNC in Apia. We have to play the PNC in, you know, California and Canada, so you're not gonna. It's not gonna be the same kind of contest. So I, I think that you can't just draw that comparison there. But I'm I'm a little confused by you, Bruce, because you know you, you want to build cohesion. In order to build cohesion, you got to play, and in order to figure out who your team is, you got to play. And I know there's not a lot of break be- between the Pacific Nation Cups games, but there is between that and then and then the Canada game, and there is you know enough time between. Uh, between those two meetings for them to figure it all out. I mean, I couldn't, you know, be more happy about the lead-up that they have. I think it's been a wonderful job. You know, I think that the 
the Australia game, may, we, maybe we bit off more than we could chew with that stadium and trying to fill it. But um, we'll see. And, and, and it's going to be an exciting summer. And I think this is the perfect lead-up. And I think we've actually got the depth outside of about two positions, maybe three, to really make it work. I understand exactly what you're saying. And there, there's something to be said for both ways. I just think you need practice time together. And when you have a lot of games and you don't have and you're traveling a little bit, even though it's a little bit of travel, and you don't have you're just not gonna have a lot of time to practice the way you want to practice together. The time in between the assemblies, they're taking off for a bit of it, and whether it's five or seven days, which they are doing, those are those are times that they're not practicing and they're not together. And then they come together and then they practice and play. And you're kind of always getting ready for a game. So, and then they walk into the World Cup in the opening game and they play Samoa. A lot rides on that game in terms of their World Cup. So they need to, I think they just need, it would almost to me say, get one less game or something like that where they can practice together. I know that, that that's not probably possible, but that would be ideal for me. I would want a little bit more practice time and then because you can select on games and things like that, but a lot of times when you're preparing for games, you're trying not to get guys hurt. Some guys are in cotton wool. Some guys are doing this. You just can't go totally full on. You got to settle on your team, kind of know who they are, and I think that takes a little bit of a preseason kind of practice schedule. Now, maybe they're going to use the Pacific Nations to act like that and treat these games as scrimmages. I doubt they'll do that. I think he, everybody wants to win because you want to go in with a winning attitude and they're, and they're trying a new attacking structure that is similar to the, you know, it, it's, it's a rugby league structure, very similar to how Bath is doing it. Not not exactly, but and their and their defensive structure is still new to them. No matter because they just haven't been together a lot. They're playing Bailey's rugby league style defense, which requires aggression and it requires patience and holding your nerve. And that takes a lot of practice to get your cohesion right. You know, then you got to get a kicking game going. It's just a lot of things that need to be done so that you don't beat yourself. They're in the best pool that you could ever hope to have in a World Cup. We have four Tier 2 nations. Scotland's a Tier 2 nation in one pool. South Africa will beat all of them. Now you, ha- now you have a real chance. That almost never would happen. Australia, England, and Wales would pay 10 million pounds to trade places with us. And you, know, oh, you know, it's a good good point. I want to I want to touch on that, but you know, back to what you said, Bruce, about uh, training time versus playing time. Uh, it it's not. This I don't understand about the Pacific Nations Cup. If you have the Pacific Nations Cup, you should be behaving like a Pacific nation. You shouldn't be having rugby games in Ontario, and um, that's what they have. Is on uh, July 29, they make everybody, everybody who's been on the West Coast 
has to fly to Toronto and play a game in midweek in Toronto, then fly back to British Columbia and play in Burnaby, which is insane. So you're, what you've got is July 29th, everyone plays a game. So the 30th, which is a rest day, is also a travel day, which sucks, right? Um, they travel across three time zones. Then you've got two training days, maybe, one of which really is probably a rest day, and a captain's run, and then you... Um, Oh, no, excuse me. Yeah, you, you, two training days and a captain's run, then a game, and then you come back. Again, your your rest day is a travel day, and then you've got maybe two training days, and then you, you play again. It's really it's really tough on the players. So uh, when I'm not even sure when the players are coming together. I think it's, you know, by the time this show comes up, it's probably right when the players have assembled, like around the 13th, okay? So from the 13th to the 3rd, we're talking 22 days, right? And by my count, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, maybe 11 training days. Not counting captain's runs. 11 training days in three weeks. That doesn't seem like a lot. Look, I mean, yeah. I mean the, game, the games the are valuable. Do games are valuable, games. right? True, but so you do have four games. Yeah, which you can can consider training. So you figure that that's what fifteen out of twenty-two. You said you know that's yeah. two thirds. Oh, okay, and right. and that's that that's not a it's it's not look. terrible. But it but you know, I'm just pointing out what you say, which is for every game that's played, it takes a you've got your game, but you. You, the day before they don't really train, and the day after they don't train. Yeah. Every single time that happens, and it's extremely difficult. Um, I, if I'm Mike Tolkien, I'm I'm switching around this team all the time. In you the get Pacific two and a, you get two and a half practices. Well, he doesn't have to switch around the team all the time because you're going to see it in a couple practices that there's guys who aren't going to be able to play, so you just don't play them, and that's just. You know, there's going to be people who rock up to camp unfit, not ready, or for whatever reason, you're not going to play them in the World Cup. You know it from Jump Street. You don't owe anyone a game. You just don't play them. And I wouldn't. Okay, look, whatever, man. You've known this has been happening. The, The World Cup's been happening for four years. You've known it. If you choose to rock up now unfit or un- not ready or mentally unprepared or you don't know the calls or you don't know what you're supposed to do, well, there's no problem not playing that dude. Who cares? He do- obviously, he doesn't care. So then just right. drop him, and now you're down to lesser people, and that's great. They have to settle on a team. That's the thing that the thing that's scaring me more is that without the practice days, they can't settle on a team. Right. All right. So the that's your that's your like your first part of the season, right? We, we've got three seasons, so essentially July thirteenth out through to August third. Then, you know, they, they're going to take a little bit of time off, and then they start back in on it. They play Canada on the twenty second. They play Harlequins on the thirtieth, and they play Australia on September fifth. That's your next season. That would that be 
if you're changing everything around in the Pacific Nations Cup, would 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 the next one be the one about building? This is this is our team. This is our our top twenty three. Is that going to work? I don't. I mean, that, that's the big question. If you're looking at, from my perspective, and it's just mine, and I'm, Pat, I'm sure Pat may or may not disagree with me, I would play my top team 100% against the Canadians. Then I would play Harlequins with a team that I was unsure about and I just wanted to figure out whether or not I made a mistake. Going into the Australian game, I would play Full Metal Jacket and see where we're at. And, and that could backfire, but that's what I would do. People play rugby to play Australia. So, like, I thought that it was a mistake in the last World Cup that we didn't play Australia with our top team. And, and I think it would be a mistake in this World Cup if we don't play South Africa with our top team. Provided we don't have two wins under our belt. But it, it, and even then, had we not played South Africa in 2007, that Taku Nguanya try, was, that was one of the plays of the tournament. I, rugby is a... We're not going to win the World Cup. And these guys, many of them toil as amateurs for the chance to play these great teams. We need to give them the opportunity to play them. We need to give them the opportunity to perform against them. And if they can't perform, then they don't deserve the professional contracts that they're asking people to give them. But if they can perform which is what the Samoans do and what other island nations do and other people have done in the past, or whether they perform, they may not perform against them great, but like the Georgians do, they blow people out in the scrum or stuff like that. They can provide an opportunity for people to get the opportunity we need professionally for our players to go. So I think you play your best team every time. We're not in a place where we can say, well, we're going to rest this guy and play that guy and we're going to play for this. I screw that. Try to win every game. Try to play every game to win. Grab some scalps. The United States, the one thing we don't have that Canada has and most other Tier 2 nations have are scalps because we play safe. We have no scalps. There's not one scalp. Yep. We don't have a scalp. We may as well be Spain. Spain has no scalps, and we don't have any. So we need to play to get scalps, and then we'll start to win. But we need to play every game to win, and we need to worry about trying to win that particular game, playing the best team that we feel is that day. Not resting anyone. And not obviously, we don't want to cause injuries and things like that. But we're not we're not going to you know tank a game. We tanked the Australia game. Now we weren't going to beat Australia, but in the World Cup last time we tanked it. That's because they were the playing a winnable game four days later. 
All well, right, that's, so they, that, Pat, I, mean, I understand. Part, I understand. They weren't going to the quarterfinal, and, and, and I get it. I get it. it so, does Italy not count as a scalp? I think it would. That was a scalp that was, that was within reach. We don't have the scalp. Well, it didn't pay and off, so, but they went so, for one. I don't so there was an 11-day rest period, and what happened was, in those 11 days, they practiced with the second team that was playing South Africa. So the team that was playing Italy, if you're going to do that, practice as if you're playing Italy and screw the South Africa game like it's a B game. You mean the Australia game, but I get your point. So screw, the, screw the Australia game like it's a B game. Yeah. Like it's I, a game you don't care about. But that's not what they did. So the fact of the matter is, so we have four opportunities in the World Cup, four, and our players work four years for those four opportunities, and then the one team that's the top team, we're robbed of the opportunity to play them. So 25% of their opportunity, 25% of the U.S. World Cup got tanked. That's garbage. It's the same as tanking a game at the end of the season as an NFL team, it's the same as, you know, making it, it's, it's, it's garbage. You don't do that. Look, I, 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 we're, I, I thought we were done talking about Indio Sullivan back in 2011. I hope we are. <laughs> so I, I don't really want to drudge that up, but we've been there. I agree with your approach, Bruce, in terms of, you know, the Harlequins game is if you, I'm not, you don't take it off. But if you're going to bulk up for a couple of them, it's going to be Canada and, and it's going to be Australia. And I agree with the reasoning behind it. I don't, I, I, you know, I, I think that we're at a point now where we're in the Pacific Nations Cup where we can beat anybody in that tournament with any combination of the 30 guys that were taken, 31 guys that were taken. I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. Well, because, they, oh, no, and I know, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I don't agree with it based on the personnel. I'm not talking about personnel. Is that most of rugby, in order to be excellent at rugby, you need to develop cohesion. You need to develop playing together. Samoa, Tonga, Canada, they're all coming in for this with the exact same cohesion that we are. What great lead-up did any of them have? They're coming in the same way that we have. Samoa's got the All Blacks game. That's it. I get that we have to have cohesion. You have to pick a team. I get that. But I don't – I think there might be more than one right answer on this multiple-choice question instead of one right answer and the other I, three I, are wrong. I, 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 did, I didn't say that there was one – hold me, Alex. I didn't say that there was one right answer. I was saying what I felt, and I think that cohesion is important to win rugby games. That's it. And I think that the U.S. has to settle on a team and play them. I'm not saying I don't care what Canada's doing. I don't care what Fiji's doing and Tonga's doing and Japan and any of these other teams or Samoa, Scotland. It doesn't matter to me. The U.S. is the only thing that matters to me. And I think that if they have cohesion and confidence, they get a feeling that, hey, we can do this together. I think they need a squad mentality, but we're not the All Blacks. The All Blacks play a lot together, and many of them play in the Super 15 together. So they kind of know each other really, really well. Whereas our guys don't know each other really, really well. Because they don't play in stressful situations 
with and against each other enough, if at all. Our professionals don't get to play that often outside of Samu and Wiles. To some extent, Lavala gets to play a bit off the bench. But other than that, the guys aren't playing heavy duty. And domestically, our competition is flawed at best. So these are very difficult times, whereas Canada has a competition, flawed or not, it's a, it's, it's, it's a better comp- competitive system than we have. I don't think their teams are better. I don't think Canada's better than us, but I think their competitive system is better. Samoa, they generally do play overseas, and they do have some English qualified player things that they, the Samoans are allowed to play in those competitions a lot more easily than we are, but they also have better players. And, you know, so I, and Japan has a professional competition, although it's six or seven games, so it's kind of a joke. But there are, there's, there's good and bad to everything. But we need to settle on a team and we need to settle on we're playing a new system and we need to settle on a team. And the reality is we have a really good chance of having a brand new fly half. Yep. Very true. And, and that's, you know, the, the, like I'm just saying cohesion is a big factor in winning international rugby games and winning rugby games in general, not just international rugby games. Winning rugby games in general. But, but I, I, I happen to be a huge proponent of it. And there are people who say, you're out of your mind. It's all talent. And I just disagree. Right. But that's um, fine. So to follow up on that, you know, the USA is going to play. They got their four chances at the World Cup. Uh, and, and they run into kind of the same thing they did last time. They didn't get dinged on the schedule quite as badly because World Rugby – Realize that everyone hated it, but uh, they play Samoa on the 20th of, of September. They play Scotland a week later. Both of those are games they they want to win. They then get uh, 10 days off and then South Africa and four days later, Japan. So the complication as to what you do raises its ugly head, whether whether Bruce, whether you agree with it or whether anyone agrees with it or not. The scenario remains the same, which is that uh, let's say, let's say they beat Samoa and lose to Scotland, and they're sitting there looking at the final four, five days of the World Cup, and it's like, you know, if we beat Japan and lose to South Africa by a hundred points, we're still automatically qualified the World Cup four years from now. That's going to be something that people have to decide on. It's to- it's totally understandable, and it's fine. To tank the game. You can tank the game. It, it, even if you don't tank the game, you're tanking the game anyway. You're going to lose no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. But if you do that, then practice as if you're playing Japan and treat South Africa. You may Let them score a 1,000 points. Who gives a shit? Don't even hit them. Kick off, let them score. Kick off, let them score. Make it a joke. I mean, if it's going to be a joke, make it a joke so you really don't have any problems. I mean, that's the way I feel about it. Either play or don't play. 
Like, you, you, you're but, be but your 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 point being spending your entire time, uh, you, all that time, those ten days until South Africa, working on a game plan for South Africa with a group of players who are going to play South Africa, and then turn around and say, "Well, now we've got to prepare for Japan, which we saved our our better players for, but we're only going to practice two days." Getting ready and for Japan. we're going to travel because we have a 31-man squad yeah. and 23 are going to be in the team. And then we're going to travel one day, rest, and... Yeah, that's insane. You know, like it's, that it's, is insane. Either play or don't play. And, and like I said, I don't care. I don't care what anyone wants to do. I'm just saying, from the perspective of a fan, it's a business decision. Do what you want to do and just say, if people don't go to your games afterward... Don't bitch about it because you tank games. If you're willing to tank games, then fans shouldn't be willing to go. Play or don't play. If you don't like being having a four-day turnaround to play Japan in the World Cup, don't go. Don't show up. Say, we don't believe in this. If you're going to stand on principle, stand on principle. If you're not, then don't. Um, it's tough. They don't pay us the big bucks to figure it out. Uh, they don't pay anyone the big bucks to figure it out, but they do pay Mike Tolkien to figure it out. Um, he has a lot to figure out. Um, and we will be keep, keeping track of it. Uh, Rugged Matrix America is brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. Don't forget to check out Pat Clifton's work on rugby today. Don't uh, Certainly don't forget to check out my work on Golf Rugby Report and the... Uh, Rugged Matrix America shows that you can get on Golf Rugby Report or check out the RuggedMatrix.com website, which also has the Rugged Matrix International show. Uh, we're going to be keeping track of the Eagles. We'll also be back with another show, probably talking about the Eagles a little bit more and maybe touching on a few other interesting topics. But that'll do it for this episode of Rugged Matrix America. Mm-hmm.